Welcome to the Brady Haywood Podcast. This is Apollo 13, Part 2. We got more of a problem. Okay, listen, listen, you guys. We've lost uh, fuel cell this one. This is Houston saying it. Lane two pressure. We lost uh, O2 tank two pressure. Oh, uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Okay. Stand by, they got a problem. We've had a main B bus undervolt. Roger, main B undervolt. Okay, fly. We've got some instrumentation fights. Let me let me add them up. Roger. Okay, stand by, thirteen. We're looking at it. We may have had an instrumentation problem, flight. Roger. Hey, we've got some problems with fuel cell one and two. If we believe the data we've got. Fuel cells one and three are offline. We've got main A volts, we have no main B volts. Okay, now, is there, do we have instrumentation problems? What? Larry, you don't believe that O2 tank one pressure, do you? No, 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 search tank's good. Roger, flight econ? Go econ. Let's reverse the configuration uh, request. Okay, but wait a minute. We got a good main A bus. Let's make sure that whatever we do doesn't screw up main A. Okay, what do you want to do? Can we review our status here, Cy, and see what we've got from a standpoint of status? What do you think we got in the spacecraft that's good? Yeah, we might have lost fuel cell one. And it looks like fuel cell two, three is gone too. Right. Two quantity number two is zero. That's AC, okay. Yeah, that's, that's because of AC. And it looks to me, looking out the uh, hatch, that we are bending something. We are, uh, we are bending something out uh, into the uh, into space. Roger, we copy your venting. It's a gas and some sort. Flight, say again. Could you call in your backup becomes now, see if we can get some more brain power in this We thing. got one here. Roger. Okay, now let's everybody keep cool. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. There's a loud bang, and the whole spacecraft shakes. Swigert, who's strapped in his seat, feels it shudder beneath him. Lovell turns towards Hayes. He thinks Hayes has been messing with the repress valve again. But Hayes says it wasn't me. Lovell looks up at Swigert, and he looks just as confused. Then an amber warning light flicks on on the panel above Swigert's head. Then an alarm goes on in Hayes' headset. Then another warning light comes on on the instrument panel. It's telling them there is a main bus B undervolt. Swigert is the first to report the problem. But at the time, Jack Louse from the Capcom is turning around in his chair in Mission Control talking to Gene Krantz, the flight director. And Lausma doesn't catch what Swigert says, so he asks him to repeat it. Then Lovell comes on the comm to say they've had a problem. Down in Mission Control, the ECOM, Cy Liebergott, who looks after the health of the command module, is looking at his console. It's streaming data down from the ship, but the data had disappeared for a few seconds, then it came back, and now it makes no sense at all. Liebergott hears Swigert and Lovell say there's a problem, and his console is saying the same thing. It's telling him the oxygen in Oxygen Tank 2 has dropped to zero. It's like the tank is gone, like it doesn't exist anymore. And it doesn't. It's exploded and blown out the side of the service module. But neither the crew nor mission control know this yet.
Then Liebergut's back room, where all his support people are, come on calm. One of them says, we lost O2 tank 2 pressure. Liebergut confirms this, then adds, okay guys, we've lost fuel cell 1 and 2 pressure. So now, not only is an oxygen tank gone, but two of the fuel cells in the spacecraft seem to be down too. Liebergut immediately feels sick. If this data is real, then here is a level of failure he's never experienced before. He's never even experienced this level of failure in a simulation. It's almost so bad, it can't be real. How can you lose a tank and a fuel cell in one hit? So Liebergut hopes this is an instrumentation problem. He taps his console and speaks to Gene Kranz. We may have an instrumentation problem flight. Let me add it up. Kranz simply says, Raj. But for the three men in Apollo, it feels nothing like an instrumentation problem. There'd been a definite bang and the ship had shaken. That isn't instrumentation. Then the warning lights had started to come on and Hayes, moving through the tunnel connecting the lunar module and command module, hears pinging and popping sounds and the scrape of metal flexing. The tunnel walls actually shift around him. The command module and the lunar module, which are connected by this fragile tunnel, are twisting and moving relative to one another. Hayes floats into the command module and gets in his couch to check the electrical systems. He reports to Houston that things seem to have improved, but then he adds some words that rip through mission control. He says, We had a pretty large bang associated with the caution and warning here. Jack Louse with a Capcom says simply, Roger Fred. Meanwhile, Jim Lovell thinks they've been hit by a meteor, something every astronaut is afraid of. He says over the comm, we're starting to go ahead and button up the tunnel again. He's thinking that if the hull or skin of the lunar module has been penetrated by a meteor, then the right thing to do is to close the hatch between the two ships and preserve the oxygen in the command module. So Swagger unbuckles himself and dives down into the lower equipment bay where he grabs the hatch. But he struggles to get it attached to the tunnel. He attempts it once, then again, then a third time, but he can't get it to fit in place. Then Lovell takes over, and he tries to fit it, but he can't get it to fit either. Then Lovell says, forget the hatch, let's just take it out and tie it down out of the way. Because at this point, Lovell realises that if they've been hit by a meteor, they'd be dead by now. The ships would have bled out. They would have depressurised. This hasn't happened yet, which means it must be something else. But what else could it be? Lovell goes to the instrumentation panel to check readings. What's wrong with this ship? Mission Control is struggling to answer the same question. Liebergott is looking at multiple system failures. Oxygen Tank 2 is showing completely empty. Some fuel cells are offline. And on top of this, Lovell has reported they had a main bus B undervolt. Now there are two buses or power buses that provide power to the spacecraft. Main bus A and main bus B. So getting an undervolt in main bus B means they've lost power in main bus B, which means they've lost half the power in the spacecraft. So the power needed to run the command module, the conical-shaped craft where the crew spend most of the mission, is provided by the service module, which is the cylindrical-shaped craft attached to it. 
Now this service module doesn't provide power with batteries. It uses fuel cells, which have a daisy chain of components. So firstly, there's the oxygen tanks and the hydrogen tanks. These tanks are cryogenic and they store gases in a sort of liquid form at really low temperatures. Now the oxygen tanks also provide breathable air to the command module. And because Liebergitz console is telling him oxygen tank 2 is empty, this means they've lost half their breathable air for the mission. Now as well as providing breathable air, these oxygen tanks, along with hydrogen tanks, also feed the fuel cells, which are incredible pieces of kit. The fuel cells take hydrogen and oxygen and put them together to make H2O, water. And this water is really important for cooling the electrical systems in the spacecraft, which do get quite hot. Now the really important byproduct of making H2O is that this process also generates electricity. And these fuel cells then feed the electricity to two buses, main bus A and main bus B. So for this system to work, you have oxygen tanks and hydrogen tanks, which provide gases to the fuel cells, which create water and electricity. And these fuel cells provide electricity to the two main buses that then distribute this power to the various systems in the spacecraft. So when Liebergut heard Jim Lovell report a main bus B undervolt, he knows there's a problem. But where is the problem? Is it with the bus itself or is it with the fuel cells feeding the buses? Or is it with the hydrogen and oxygen tanks feeding the fuel cells? Now you can theoretically have a problem with an oxygen tank and fuel cells and a bus, but all three at the same time? This is one of those statistically minuscule probabilities. Because even if one oxygen tank fails, the other will keep on powering the fuel cells and the buses and you'll only read a tank failure. And things are about to get worse. From Gene Kranz's console, the flight director's console, there's more going on than just a problem with a tank, some fuel cells and a bus. Because just as the astronauts were reporting the problem, and Liebergott was saying there may be an instrumentation issue, Kranz starts getting a flow of problems from other consoles. The INCO, the Instrumentation and Communications Officer, signs on the loop and says that the spacecraft has switched from transmitting on a high-gain antenna to the four smaller antennas. Why on earth would it do that? That shouldn't happen. And Bill Fenner, the guidance officer who looks after the guidance systems on the spacecraft, comes on the loop and tells Kranz there's been a hardware restart on board. This can happen when the onboard computer thinks something is going wrong. But if something is going wrong inside the ship, it can't be a meteor strike. But what is wrong inside the spacecraft? The information they have is making no sense. Kranz knows that the lunar module, known as the LEM, seems fine. But then it would be. It isn't actually powered up. It's just sitting there connected to the command module. And the command module, where the crew are right now, also seems fine which suggests the problem lies in the service module, the lifeblood of the mission. And Kranz knows that if there's something wrong with the service module, then the future of the mission and the lives of the crew are at risk. So what's wrong with the service module? Kranz asks himself, does he really expect that all these problems are actually real? Problem with the O2 tank, the fuel cells, the bus, the high gain antenna, the guidance computer hardware restart. Are they real? 
He just can't quite accept that this is something physical. It just seems like ratty data. So he asks Liebergott over the comm, Sai, what do you want to do? Have we got a six sensor type problem here or what? And Liebergott's really not sure. Because while the numbers on his console are not good, he knows that Lovell is reporting better numbers from the spacecraft. Liebergott's console is telling him that oxygen tank 2 has no oxygen. But Lovell's gauges are telling him it's full. It's maxed out. But then Lovell's numbers start to go bad too. Lovell is looking at the O2 tank 2 readings and they are now reading empty. And of the fuel cells, two look dead. Meanwhile, Fred Hayes sees that of the two buses, both now look like they're in trouble. Lovell had reported that main bus B had an undervolt, but now it looks to Hayes that main bus A is also failing. It looks to him like main bus B is bleeding main bus A to death. If they both die, the spacecraft dies. And when Lovell looks at this, his heart sinks. Mission rules are really clear. To land on the moon, the service module needs all three fuel cells working. This isn't the case anymore. There's only one working. Lovell points to the readings and says to Swagger and Hayes, if these are real, the landing's off. Lovell goes on the comm to mission control, keeping his voice neutral. He says, fuel cell one and three are both showing gray flags, but both are showing zip on the flows. Capcom replies, we copy. Lovell then adds, and Jack, O2 cryo number two tank is reading zero. Did you get that? This meant there was nothing left in oxygen tank two, and the Capcom confirms the reading. Down at the flight director's console, Gene Kranz's comm loop is alive with people wanting to talk to him. And the Capcom is asking him, Is there any kind of leads we can give them? Are we looking at instrumentation or have we got real problems? And with all this happening, Krantz turns to Glenn Lunny, who's sitting beside him. Glenn Lunny is another flight director and he's waiting for his shift to begin once Krantz's ends. Krantz asks Lunny to call Chris Kraft, the deputy director of the Manned Spacecraft Center. He needs to know this is all happening. Lonnie calls the number for Kraft's house and the phone is answered by Kraft's wife, Betty Ann. Lonnie hands the phone over to Kranz. Kranz asks to speak to Kraft. Betty Ann says he can't, her husband's in the shower. She says, can she have him call him back? Kranz says, no, I don't think you can. I need you to get him out right away. Kraft comes on the line and Kranz tells him there's been a major electrical problem. Then he says that they think they've lost one or more fuel cells. Then he says, you'd better get over here now. Now all the time this is going on, Lovell, Hayes and Swaggart are bouncing all over the place. The service module has automatic thrusters that keep it stable as it glides towards the moon. But now it's like something is throwing the spacecraft off course. And every time the craft is thrown off course, the automatic thrusters kick in to stabilize it. But this leads to further bouncing as the ship again wobbles out of control and the automatic thrusters fire again to correct it. So as well as responding to alarms and reading instrumentation and talking to mission control, the astronauts are being bounced around in space. Lovell needs to get this movement under control. He needs to null out these rates. 
So he reaches out and takes hold of manual controller. He's going to be a pilot again. He's going to try and tame this movement. But no matter what he does, it's not working. The ship is just trashing about. It's like something is pushing the ship around and he has no idea what it is. So he unbuckles himself from his couch and floats to look out one of the command module's small windows. Now he knows this is a complete waste of time. He'll see only space. He won't be able to see any of the service module which is behind him. But this is his pilot's instinct kicking in. He just wants to eyeball it. And what Lovell sees out that window changes everything. He takes a breath and calms himself as best he can. He knows what he is about to say will send shockwaves through mission control. He controls his voice to appear unconcerned and he says, It looks to me that we are venting something. We are venting something into space. Then Jack Louse from the Capcom says, Roger, we copy your venting. And Lovell continues, It's a gas of some sort. What Lovell sees out the window is a cloud of gas, and it's crystallising and creating this iridescent halo in the blackness of space. This has to be where the oxygen is disappearing to. This venting is what's propelling Lovell's ship around erratically. This is what he's fighting when he's trying to use the manual thrusters. And this is certainly not instrumentation. This is real. Lovell realises that he, Jack Swaggart and Fred Hayes are in big trouble. Down in mission control there is shock, but Kranz remains calm. He comes on the calm. Okay everybody, let's think of the kinds of things we'd be venting. GNC, you got anything that looks abnormal on your system? And GNC replies, negative flight. Kranz then says, how about you Ecom? You see anything with the instrumentation you've got that could be venting? And Liebergut says, that's a firm flight. Because all he can think of is oxygen tank 2, which is reading empty. The gas has to be oxygen. He says, let me look at the system as far as venting is concerned. Then Kranz says, okay, let's start scanning. I assume you've called in your backup ecom to see if we can get some more brain power on this thing. And Liebergut replies, we got one here. Kranz says, Raj. And for Gene Kranz, this is the moment. It's been 15 minutes since the crew first reported a problem. And he's furious with himself that he's wasted all this time thinking it's an instrumentation problem. But he quickly gets over himself. This mission is now about survival. Kranz tackles his first problem. Disorganisation. There are two flight control teams in the room. His white one is still on shift, albeit their shift is running over. And standing behind the white team controllers are Glenn Lunny's black team controllers. They're about to go on shift. And all these controllers are talking to one another and Kranz can see that the room has been badly rattled by the news of the venting. So his first job is to turn this team around and refocus them. So he stands up and yells across the consoles. Okay, all flight controllers, cut the chatter. I want every member of the white team to settle down and get back on the voice loops. The rest of you, shut up. Then Kranz gets back on calm to the white team. He says, okay, let's everybody keep cool. 
Then he talks about the options and adds, let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. So calmness is restored. And up in Apollo 13, there is no panic either. To Lovell, there's no point bouncing around the walls for 10 minutes to wind up back in the same mess. Like Kranz, Lovell sees this all as a series of problems to be solved. He knows the moon landing is off. He knows they're venting what can only be oxygen into space. But he also knows they are in no immediate danger. They still have one good oxygen tank and they still have one good fuel cell. Plenty of oxygen to survive and plenty of power to get the command module and them home safely. And to confirm this, Lovell drifts over to look at the control panel. He wants to double check that the oxygen level in oxygen tank 1 is okay. And he also wants to check that fuel cell 2 is still working fine. And he gets a shock. Oxygen tank 1, the tank that should be okay, is losing oxygen. Now he knows tank 2 is empty, it's been empty for a while, but this shouldn't be affecting tank 1. They are separate tanks, but now tank 1 isn't reading full anymore, and the sensor needle seems to be dropping right in front of his eyes. Literally dropping as he's watching it. Tank 1 is bleeding oxygen. The only source of oxygen left in the service module, which is also the only source of power in the service module, is disappearing right before his eyes. He now realises there's some sort of leak in tank 1 too. And once it's empty, the spacecraft is dead. No oxygen to breathe, no power to do anything. Lovell needs to make sure Mission Control is reading this. He nudges Swaggart and points at the tank 1 meter. Swaggart nods and then says to the Capcom in the usual relaxed tone, Jack, are you reading O2 tank 1 cryopressure? And the Capcom replies, that's affirmative. Lovell, Swaggart and Hayes look at one another. They know now they're in a dying spacecraft. But they have some time. Lovell reckons about two more hours before they'll lose all power and oxygen. And when that power and oxygen in the service module runs out, they still have a trio of batteries in the command module to provide power, and they still have a small surge oxygen tank in the command module to provide oxygen. But these batteries and this oxygen will be needed for re-entry, if they last that long. So in a normal mission, just before re-entry, the cylindrical service module is jettisoned, leaving the three crew members in the small conical command module. And for the last part of the flight, power and oxygen are provided by the 3 of batteries and the oxygen surge tank in the command module. So if they start using these consumables now, it'll be like they're spending their retirement when they're still teenagers. If the service module dies, and if they start using this power and oxygen to survive, then if by some miracle they actually do last long enough to get to re-entry, they won't have the power and oxygen they need to survive it. So whatever they do, they can't use these consumables now. They need another option. And for Lovell, there's only one more card to play. There's the lunar module, the LEM, Aquarius. It's sitting quietly, all powered down, attached to the command module. Now in a normal mission, this LEM wouldn't be used until they entered the moon's orbit, but this isn't gonna happen on this mission. Lovell looks at his crewmates and says, if we're going to get home, we're going to have to use Aquarius. And even while Lovell is saying this, he knows this solution is only 
a temporary measure. The lamb isn't going to be able to get them home. They're at least 90 hours journey from the earth. The lamb doesn't have the power or the oxygen to keep three men alive for anywhere near that long. It was never designed for that. But one thing at a time, if they can get the lamb powered up before the command module dies, then they have a chance of surviving a little longer. And through all this, Lovell is trying to get the spacecraft under control, but the gas that's venting is still pushing him around. And down in mission control, Kranz is trying hard to get a handle on the situation. He's spending most of his time dealing with the ecom Psy Liebergut. And on Liebergut's console, Oxygen Tank 2 is dead, and Oxygen Tank 1, which Lovell had been surprised to see dropping, is now down to half pressure. Half of 860 pounds per square inch, and it's continuing to drop. Fuel cells 1 and 3 are all but gone, and now fuel cell 2 is dying. Main bus B is also long gone, and now main bus A is dying. This is a system that's completely crashing. Liebergut knows he can't save it, but what he is trying to do is stop it dying straight away. The hardware is gobbling power, and if the system decides it's all too much, it might simply crash out. So Liebergut's backroom suggests they do a power down. In other words, at least try and control the debt of the ship. So at about 20 minutes after Swaggart and Lovell had reported a problem, Liebergut gets back on the comm loop to Kranz and says, Flight? And Kranz says, Go ahead. Liebergut says, I think the best thing we can do right now is start a power down. Kranz says, Okay, you want to power down, look at the telemetry and all that good stuff, and then come back up? Wow, thinks Liebergut. Power back up? There isn't going to be any power back up. It's as if Kranz hasn't quite got his head around how bad this is. So he tells Kranz he wants to power down by a total of 10 amps. And Kranz whistles. Then says, a total of 10 amps. Now this is a huge amount of power to cut. The ship only runs on 50 amps and Liebergut wants to slice off 20% of the power. Which means slicing off 20% of the systems. So Kranz confirms the power down and the Capcom starts to read up the power down procedure to Swaggart. And around this time, Chris Kraft arrives at Mission Control and he goes over to talk to Kranz. But at the ECOM console, things are taking an even more disturbing turn. The pressure in O2 Tank 1 has dropped to 318 pounds. And once it gets to 100 pounds, Liebergut knows it won't actually be able to feed gas through the lines. So once another 218 pounds per square inch bleeds out, the tank is useless. Then goodbye power, goodbye oxygen. Liebergut says over the loop to Kranz, that's the end right there. And when Liebergut's backroom see this drop, they ask Liebergut to close off the surge tank in the command module. This is the tank they need for re-entry. Because if the oxygen level in the service module tank drops too low, then the system automatically switches over to the surge tank in the command module. The backroom don't want this to happen. So Liebergut gets on the loop to tell Kranz that they'd like to isolate the surge tank and keep using the tanks in the service module. And now... The ECOM and his backroom are really in a grim mood. By their calculations at the O2 tank's current rate of pressure loss, it will be useless in 1 hour and 54 minutes. 
but Liebergott has got another option to try. He can shut the reactant valves on the two defective fuel cells. So these reactant valves regulate the flow of oxygen from the tanks into the fuel cells themselves. Liebergott's thinking goes like this. He has two oxygen tanks feeding into three fuel cells. Somewhere in this system, he has a leak. This leak is allowing oxygen in his remaining O2 tank to bleed out. If he can switch off two of the already dead fuel cells, he may be able to isolate the leak. And if he can do that, he can try and run a limping ship on his one fuel cell and one O2 tank. But this really is a last-ditch effort. There's no coming back from closing reactant valves. These are very delicate pieces of kit. And once they're closed, they need a team of technicians to open them back up. And saying that these valves need to be closed is saying out loud that the mission is over. So he gets on the loop. Flight Ecom. And Kranz says, go ahead Ecom. And Liebergut says, I want to shut off the reactant valves. Starting with fuel cell 3 first to see if we can stop the flows. Kranz then repeats back to him. You want me to shut off the reactant valve to fuel cell 3? Roger, says Liebergott. So Kranz asks the Capcom to tell the crew to close the react valve on fuel cell 3. Then Kranz adds, we're going to try and stop this O2 flow. Lausma, the Capcom, says to the crew, OK, 13, this is Houston. It appears to us that we're losing O2 flow through fuel cell 3. So we want you to close the react valve on fuel cell 3. You copy? In the command module, the crew hear the Capcom's message. His speaks to Houston and says, Did I hear you right? You want me to shut the react valve on fuel cell 3? Lausma answers, That's affirmative. And his says again, You want me to go through the whole smash for fuel cell shutdown? And Lausma again answers, That's affirmative. Open the command module. Lovell says, it's over. Swaggart looks at his crewmates. As a command module pilot, he is never going to walk on the moon. But he feels for Lovell and his, who now won't either. He says, I'm sorry. We did everything we could. So they closed the reactant valve and Liebergott and his backroom watched their consoles, hoping they'll see the oxygen leak stop see the pressure in the remaining O2 tank stabilize. They wait. And wait. Then to their horror it doesn't stop. The ship continues to leak and the pressure continues to drop. Then Liebergott orders the reactant valve on fuel cell 1 closed as well. This is the last chance. The crew close it and again Liebergott and his team wait. But the bleeding continues. Now there's only one more thing to do. Liebergott turns to his right in mission control. Bob Hesselmeyer is sitting there. Hesselmeyer is the environmental officer in the LIM, known as the TALMU. Now essentially the TALMU is the equivalent of the ECOM except they're for the LIM. So it's Hesselmeyer's job to make sure the LIM is functioning perfectly. And because at the moment it's powered down, he doesn't have much to do. Liebergott says to him, Remember when we were working on those lifeboat procedures? But Helsenmeyer is not following. So Liebergut elaborates. The LEM lifeboat procedures we worked on in the sim. Now what Liebergut is talking about is a simulation they'd done previously. 
and in this exercise they'd simulate what they'd do if something happened to the command module and Mission Control had to use the LEM's life support systems as a way of keeping the crew alive. Liebergott is now thinking the only thing left to save the crew is the LEM. He's reaching the same conclusion as Lovell did earlier. So Liebergott calls flight and says, The pressure in O2 Tank 1 is all the way down to 297. We'd better think about getting them into the LEM. And Kranz says, Roger, come. But while the oxygen tank 1 readings are bad on the ground, they are terrible in the spacecraft. They aren't 297 pounds, they're down to 205 pounds. So they are two-thirds of what the ground believe they are. Swaggart gets in the comm and says, Houston, it looks like tank 1 O2 pressure is just a hair over 200. Does it look to you like it's still going down? And Lausma replies, it's slowly going to zero. We're starting to think about the LEM lifeboat. In Apollo, the three crew nod to one another. Yes, said Swigert, that's what we're thinking about too. And there it was, the official abandoned ship. Get out and into the LEM and get it all fired up. But things are much more complicated than that. They need the command module at the end of the mission for re-entry. They just can't let it splutter out and die. They need to power it down properly. And they need to do this to make sure there's a chance of turning it back on afterwards. Letting it crash out and die in an uncontrolled manner could mean they may never get it fired up again. So they'll have to carefully power it down, switching it off one switch at a time. Now this is usually a job for three, but it will have to be Swaggart's job alone, because Lovell and Hayes are in the limb getting ready to power it up. So Swigert has to power the command module down before it dies on him, and Lovell and Hayes have to power the LEM up before Swigert powers down the command module. If they don't get this done, there'll be no power or breathable air, or ability to maneuver the spacecraft. So they're in a race. And at this time there's a change of shift taking place. Jane Kranz has decided that it's a good time to turn control over to Glenn Lunny's black team. They have their plan of action now and Lunny is just the man to execute it. He will manage the power down and power up because Krantz is already moving on to the really big question. How does he get these astronauts home? So he hands over control to Lunny and he looks around the room as each of his controllers get up and hand over to the next shift. Krantz's men have been on console since 2pm that day and now it's after 10pm. But as far as he's concerned, this team's work is only just beginning. But things in the command module are about to get so much worse. Liebergut stands up and hands over control to the new ECOM, Clint Burton. Burton now has the unenviable job of presiding over the death of the ship. And one of his first questions to the backroom is how much pressure is left in the last oxygen tank. In other words, how much time do they have left to power down? Hmm, the backroom says, at a little over an hour, we're getting a new rate. Burton says quickly, a little shocked, I didn't copy. He and Liebergut look at one another. A little over an hour? They're losing this ship a lot faster than they thought. Then the backroom says, we're getting a new rate here, Clint. We've got a little over 40 minutes left in tank one. Incredibly, they've jumped from almost two hours left to only 40 minutes remaining. Then it gets worse. After a pause, the back room comes back on the line and says, 
Leak rate's increasing all the time, Ecom. Now it looks like we've got about 18 minutes left. Then he calls again, and it's down to 7 minutes. Then a minute later, it's down to 4. The Ecom quickly gets on the comm loop and asks Flight to open the surge tank in the command module to provide oxygen. They need to start using some of the oxygen that's required for re-entry, and they need to start using it now. Lonnie argues, why can't they use the LEMS supply? And Burton replies, because it isn't fired up yet. Flight gets on to the Capcom and tells him to tell the crew to fire it up. Lausma says to Apollo, 13 Houston, we'd like you to start making your way over to the LEM. Swaggart replies, Fred and Jim are in the LEM already. Swaggart then continues to work through the power down of the command module and Lovell and Hayes work on getting the LEM operational. And this is a huge job. It usually takes two hours to bring everything online according to the checklists. But they don't have hours. They literally have minutes. And one of the first things to sort out is guidance. Their guidance system tells them where they are in space and, just as importantly, which way they're pointing. If they lose control of their guidance system, they won't know where they are, which will make doing any sort of manoeuvres almost impossible. So in order to get the guidance up and running in the LEM, Swaggart has to take the spacecraft's orientation and coordinates from the command module computer, pass them to Lovell, then Lovell has to make some calculations on paper to account for the fact that the LEM has a different orientation to the command module, and then they have to input this information into the LEM's guidance computer. And if Swaggart doesn't get the numbers out of the command module computer before it's shut down, then they're flying blind. And if he gets the numbers out and Lovell screws up the calculations, then they'll have the wrong inputs for the LEM computer. And even if they get this right, they still have to actually input them into the LEM computer without making a mistake. And they have to do all this under extreme time pressure. So Lovell requests the numbers and Swaggart passes them on, then Lovell starts his calculations. But something strange happens. Lovell suddenly gets nervous he'll mess up the calculations. Rather than risk that, he calls down to Mission Control for a double check on his arithmetic. And the Capcom is confused, he's never heard Jim Lovell doubt himself. So Lovell reads out the numbers and the Capcom waits as the team at the guidance console check them. Then he gets back on comm to Lovell. Okay, Aquarius, your arithmetic looks good there. Lausma is now referring to the LEM by its official call sign, Aquarius. And from now on, when he's speaking to Jack Swagger in the command module, he'll be calling it Odyssey. Meanwhile, Lonnie is pulling together all of Mission Control, essentially a bunch of technical people in their 30s, and he's focusing them on what needs to be done to save the crew. Lonnie has been handed one of NASA's biggest messes, and he is excelling at sorting it out. He's a details man, and going through the power down and power up sequence is all about the details. And everything now is moving very quickly. Hayes continues to feed numbers into the guidance computer. They keep powering up the craft. And mission control is firing up details of switches that need to be turned off or on, one after the other. Swaggered is darting around the instrument panel in the command module, flicking off switch after switch, following the power down sequence. And through all this, Lausma is telling the astronauts to speak one at a time and stop talking over one another. Then they almost have a disaster. 
with all the procedures that are being shortened and changed and written for the first time, Lunny begins to worry that they've switched off the trusters on the command module before they've brought the lunar module's trusters online. This means that the spacecraft are now not being controlled by anyone. Lonnie says over the loop, I want to be sure we got control somewhere. I'm not satisfied we do yet. And Lausma comes in the loop. Okay, we haven't got ourselves in a position here where we have no attitude control in either vehicle, have we? There then follows an exchange and Lausma confirms that Hayes and Lovell haven't yet got attitude control in the LEM. Lausma says, hey Flight, they don't have attitude control and we don't have attitude control in the CM, meaning the command module. And Lonnie says, okay, well we're trying to get it up, right? And Lausma says, yeah they are. Now it would turn out to be okay, but Lonnie, the details man, would be mad at himself because of the error. It's almost a matter of principle. It's the only mistake he makes all night. Finally, Lovell gets in the calm. Okay, Aquarius is up and Odyssey is completely powered down according to the procedures you read up to Jack. And Lausma says, Roger, we copy. That's where we want to be, Jim. They've done it. Against brutal time constraints, they've got a working spacecraft online and they've managed to shut the other down. They may still be dead men, but they've bought themselves tens of hours to try and save themselves. In the command module, Swaggart is alone, and he looks around. This is his ship, his responsibility. He is the command module pilot, and at least for now, it's dead. It looks a very different place from hours ago when it was a bright, blizzy place and they were broadcasting on TV. Now it's dark and it's starting to get cold. And Swaggart really hopes this isn't a dead ship, just a sleeping one. It still has some of its batteries and oxygen supply. They used up a little to buy some time in the power down. But the problem is, no one knows if it's even possible to turn this command module back on. Once in flight, these command modules were never designed to be switched off. So at some point in the future, mission control is going to have to try something they've never, ever done before. Something that's never even been simulated before. They're going to have to figure out how to bring back to life a command module using only its battery power after it's been in the cold of deep space for days. Swaggart floats through the tunnel to join Lovell and Hayes in the LEM. And when he does, he simply says, It's up to you now. But of course, it wasn't just up to them. Once Gene Kranz had handed over control to Lunny, he took off his headset and stepped back from the console. He put the word around mission control that he wants the entire white team downstairs. And there's one other person in the room that Krantz wants, and that person is an ecom. Now, he hasn't been on shift, but he's been helping Liebergut and Burton at the console. The person is John Aaron. He's only 27 years old, and he is already referred to as a steely-eyed missile man one of the highest forms of praise in mission control. 
Kranz leads the white team and Aaron downstairs to room number 210, a large, windowless room with conference tables and chairs. He walks up to the front of the group and folds his arms. He looks at his team. The problems they face are massive. From where the astronauts are now, much closer to the moon than the Earth, the journey back home will take at least 90 hours, almost four days. But the LEM has only about 45 hours worth of oxygen and power. And that figure of 45 hours is based on two men aboard. But now the LEM will have to support three men. So the life support available is a lot less than 45 hours. Then there's the problem with the ship's trajectory. If it keeps on its current path, it will reach the moon, be swept around the back of it, and then slingshot back towards the Earth. But the big issue is, on its current trajectory, it will miss the Earth. It will miss it by about 40,000 miles. In other words, if they don't do some sort of course correction before then, the men will die. Now one option is to do a large burn when the craft goes around the moon at a time called PC plus 2, but the engine they usually use for this correction is the engine on the service module. Do they really want to try and fire that? It could be damaged. They would even have the power for that. And if they didn't use that engine, then they'll have to use the engine on the LEM to course correct. But it was never designed for that. Then there's the guidance problem. If the crew has messed up the transfer from the command module computer to the LEM computer, then they're flying blind. And there's no easy way to check their alignment to make sure this transfer has been done correctly. And then, even if they solve all these problems, they're still going to have to figure out how to turn the command module back on after it's been switched off for days, using only its own battery power. No one knows if this is even possible. And if they can't do it, then all the work to get the men back to that point will have been for nothing. But Krantz has a plan. Flight control teams work in six-hour shifts, and there are four teams. There's Krantz's white team and Lonnie's black team, and there are also gold and maroon teams. Krantz is going to pull his white team off calm for the rest of the mission and bump the other three teams up to eight-hour shifts. His white team will be central players in the rescue plan that's forming in his mind. This is the team that will solve problem after problem. This is the team that will pull off what many think is almost impossible. This is the team that will work out how to get Lovell, Swaggart and Hayes home alive. And while these men may be part of Krantz's white team, over the days that follow, they will have an altogether more glamorous title bestowed upon them. They will become known as the Tiger Team. Thank you.